All right, we're gonna kick off our new series, Ghost Stories. It's great to have you here. I wanna start by welcoming our campuses, our Land Lakes campus, our Carrollwood campus, Temple Terrace, South Tampa, Ebor, right here at Lutz. It's great to have you guys here. And those that are watching online, boy, I'm excited about this. About a few months ago, Pastor Craig came to me and he said, I want you to do a message on spiritual warfare. And I said, oh, that's awesome. When do you want me to do it? He goes, Halloween weekend. And I was like, yes, that's a perfect time to kick off a new series starting with spiritual warfare. And it's been really a rich journey for me because as I've been going through it, God's just really been unpacking some things. In fact, I feel like he's really boiled down some of the scripture to show me there are plays that the enemy does to defeat you. And I wanna just take some time to unpack that. But before we do, I wanna start with a scripture that you just saw in the opening. It says this in Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I want you to notice something in the very first line. It says this, for we are not fighting. Now this doesn't mean that spiritual warfare is a past tense thing. It is a present tense thing. When it says we are fighting, we are fighting right now. It started from the day God created Adam and Eve to where you are this moment. Spiritual warfare, fighting God against the devil, angels against demons, have all been happening in that time frame. And what I wanna give us tonight is some very key insights to the devil's strategy. And I'm also gonna give you some questions to help you identify where you're at as the enemy's coming at you. And then I've got a great thing at the end that's gonna give you a little bit of a surprise. I wanna give you the first one. It is, the devil will tempt you. In Thessalonians 3, 5, it says this. It says, Satan is called the tempter. That Greek word is parazzo. It means to entice to test and to scrutinize. Ironically, that same word is used also in the same story when Jesus was baptized and went out into the wilderness and the enemy came to tempt him. So that same word is there. And what that means is that the enemy was doing what Jesus is what he does with you. He's trying to scrutinize you. He's trying to find the little chink in your armor. He's trying to find the spot that you go, oh, I'm vulnerable there. Maybe it's not my strength. And so that's what he's doing all the time. You're always being under the microscope by the enemy so that he can defeat you with something that he can tempt you with. And then if you do get tempted and you fail, then you've sinned. And he'll do it over and over and over again. And what happens is over time, we say, you know what? I can beat that sin. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do this in my strength and I'm gonna set a boundary here. I'm gonna talk to this person. And pretty soon what happens is you're working so hard to beat that sin and then you fail. And then you go, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna get tougher. I'm gonna get stronger and I'm gonna do more things. And then you fail. And what happens is the enemy uses a boomerang effect because part of us thinks, we can handle it. Part of us thinks we're strong enough. We can handle it. It's not hurting anybody. But then this is what happens. We fail and now he brings shame. And now he brings guilt. And now he starts to whisper in your ear, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you said you loved Jesus. I thought you really wanted to love God. And you're going, I do. I love God with all my heart. How can I do these things even though I love God? Let me give you a little bit of hope. In Romans 7, it says this. It says, I have discovered this principle of life, 
that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. That power makes me a slave to sin. That is the sin within me. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. You know who wrote those words? The guy that God trusted to write two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. You see, the battle that you face, the first play that the enemy wants to use against you is the play that says, if I tempt them, I can move them away from God. And we buy into that and we go, oh God, I can't, you will never forgive me. That's too bad. You're not, I'm not good enough. And God says, no, through Jesus Christ, when we sin, we can go, God, forgive me. And it brings us back. Maybe you're struggling in that area. Let me give you a key question that's gonna help you determine that. What do I think I can handle on my own? What is the thing right now that you're not trusting God, but you're doing it in your own strength? The second play that the enemy has in his playbook is the devil will test you, so you test God. Let me tell you what that looks like. You know, last week, Pastor Craig did a great message on giving and tithing, and he used a scripture in Malachi where it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and God says, test me in this. And when we read that, go, isn't that what we're supposed to do, test God? Well, when God asks us to test him, he's saying, if you do this, I will show you my power and my love for you. But when we test God, it's a different perspective because it's the same problem that Jesus had out in the wilderness, the enemy says on the second temptation, he says, why don't you show me? The Bible says that if you jump off the building, then he will protect you and keep you safe. If he's really God, he'll do that for you. And so it's not showing the power of God. It's saying, God, if you will prove that you are God, then I'll do what you say. It's a difference. The difference is we're saying, God, you prove your God first, then I'll obey. That's not how it works. You see, God was God before he even created you or I, the earth, any of it. But his heart was so great for us and love for us that he wants that relationship. Now, I, I got a funny way of kind of describing how we go to God in these things because my, my um, granddaughter, Quinn, who's four, she and I were looking at a, a Christmas ma uh, magazine or catalog from Walmart or something. And she was there and she goes, Pop, I, I'm Pop. Uh, and she says, I wanna show you all the gifts I want for Christmas. It's not that big of a magazine. It's like a little thing you get in the mail. She had circled 35 gifts that she wanted. And she says, and I want you to get those for me. And I looked at her and I said, no way, I'm not doing that. Do we do that with God sometimes? You bet. He wants to give us the desires of, his, of our hearts, the Bible says. He wants to do good things for us, but he doesn't want to be Santa Claus for you. He doesn't want you to sit there and go, do this, do this, do this. He doesn't want to have to prove he's God to you. I want to tell you a different story that maybe is a little less funny. When I was uh, new in ministry, and I have a son, Casey, who sings on our worship team. He does a great job. And when he was 18 months old, he hadn't started to walk yet. And Kristen called me because she had taken to the doctor and she said, the doctor told me he has cerebral palsy. Now at that time, I, I didn't know what cerebral palsy was, but I knew it wasn't good. And I left the office immediately and I went home and I picked up my little 18 month old boy. And I said, 
And I took him up to his nursery and I sat down in the rocking chair and me and God started talking. I said, God, you gotta help me understand this. Why would you do this to my son? Why would you take my little boy who's done nothing wrong, who's done no, no type of sin, he's only 18 months, and why would you give him something that's gonna be with him the rest of his life? Cerebral palsy is a paralysis from, um, on the whole right side of his body with his arms and his hands and his legs and his feet. And I'm sitting there and I'm pouring my heart out to God. And after about an hour of praying, God says this to me. I feel like this is what he puts in my heart. He says, if I don't heal him, will you accept him like he is? No, God, I won't because your Bible tells me that you are a God who heals. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha. Of course you're gonna heal him. That's what your character is. That's what you'll do. And it went on for another hour and an hour and I get done and he goes, if I don't heal him, will you accept him like he is? That conversation went on for a year. I'm a minister, I'm doing children's ministry. I love God with all my heart, like we just talked about. And me and God are wrestling with this thing that God, why would you do this? Show, show me, show me your power. And every time he'd say, if I don't heal him, will you accept him like he is? When Casey was seven, or excuse me, short after that, really that year, I said, okay, God, I will accept him like he is. Short time after that, we moved down here to Tampa to be a part of Grace Family Church. On the one-year anniversary, we came, and he, Casey gets involved in the Shriners program. They do amazing work there, and Casey's making progress. And he's seven years old, and he comes to his mom and I, and he goes, I would like to learn how to play drums. And I'm thinking, how does somebody play drums if they don't have the ability to real full function of their right side? We find a teacher who says, yeah, I'll try it. Seven-year-old, that's young, but let's try it. And he starts playing drums and he, he gets pretty good at it, so much so that he's eventually in the youth band and he's playing drums in the youth band. And one day his sister turns around because she's singing and she says, hey, Casey, we need a singer. Can you come out here and sing this song? And he goes, I can do that. And Casey comes out and he sings this song and he never really goes back to the drums. And he keeps singing and he continues to sing. And then he's a leader. And now he's one of our worship pastors here at Grace Family Church. And here's the question. Here's the question. Yeah, you can clap for that. What if Casey never picked up a drumstick? You see, I don't have an answer for your question. I don't have your question. I don't have an answer for that difficult thing you're wrestling with God with, that you want him to prove how powerful he is and he hasn't done it yet. But here's what I will tell you. You can trust that God has a purpose and a plan for you and your loved ones and he will bring it to pass. Because the tragedy isn't that Casey has cerebral palsy. In my opinion, the tragedy would be if Casey never picked up a drumstick if Casey never got behind a microphone because he leads us into God's presence through worship and he leads at our church at a high level. So maybe the question you need to ask yourself in this play is what am I trying to protect and what am I unwilling to surrender? The next play that the enemy has for us. Oops, I actually gave you the wrong question. Let me give you a different question. I was looking at the wrong note. And that is this, the question for the last one is, where has God disappointed you? All right, I already gave you the next question. So let me go to the next point. The next play is the devil's gonna lie to you. Now, this one is a big one because 
It says in John, for you are the children of the father of the devil and you love to do the evil things he does. Listen how he describes the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He, was always, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So not only is the enemy a liar, that's the language he speaks. He is the father of all lies. He cannot speak the truth. So even though he knows the Bible probably better than anybody, he can't speak it in the truth. But what he can do is he can twist it and he can change it and he can manipulate it. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden when he comes to Eve and he said, did God really say this? Did God really mean this? And what happens is he takes God's word or even something that we know is true. We just did an amazing series a few weeks ago called Absolute Truth, that you can absolutely trust the, the validity of the Bible. And he takes those truths and he twists them. Let me give you a good example. Right now, I'm gonna ask you a simple question. It's not hard, don't make it hard. What is something that is very special to you in your life? Something very precious. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your family, those close relationships. It could be your career, your finances, your business. It might be your legacy. It might be the dreams that you have inside. Those are all real close to us. And the Bible tells us that God works on the desires of our heart. But the enemy knows the Bible and he says, you know what? I'm gonna take that truth and I'm gonna twist it so they don't actually believe what the Bible says about it. Because we need to get into God's word. If you're not spending time in God's word, how will you know what the truth is? I'll give you a great example of real quick. There are people that in the secret service that basically identify false currency. You know how they do that? They don't get trained in all the changes you can make to a dollar bill. They get trained on knowing what a real dollar bill looks like so well that when they see the counterfeit, they know it's not real. Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time in his word where you know what the truth is so much that when the enemy says, what does he say about this? You go, this is what the Bible says. Because then you'll know the truth. Now, let me give you another example out of my life. You know, about 13 years ago, Kristen was asked to write the, um, my wife, Kristen, was asked to write the Freedom Curriculum. And she was working on it. And one day she came to me and she said, hey, I've been working on this. I'd like you to look at it. And I'm like, oh, sure, I can do that. Okay, and I put it over here. And she goes, no, I want you to go through this. I'm getting rid of my crap. I want you to get rid of your stuff too. And I was like, okay. And put it, picked it back up. I ended up getting an 80-page notebook and said, okay, I'm gonna take this seriously. I know it means a lot to her and everything. And so I, I started going through it and I'm writing and I'm like, oh, that's good. And then I hit this page where it gave us different things to pray about what God, what this meant in our life. Things like pride, fear, and a whole list of other things. And all I know is that God just started to unpack a lot of stuff. In fact, Every night, I would, after the kids would go to bed, I would go to the kitchen table and start writing for 30 days in a row. And when I was done, I filled an 80-page notebook of conversations that I shouldn't have had or things that I had done that needed to be forgiven or things that people had done to me that I needed to forgive them. And I went through this whole thing. And when I got done with that, I had this notebook and I looked through it and I said, what, what are you showing me, God? And this is what he showed me. He said, he goes, you're insecure, 
You're a people pleaser and you're full of fear. Guys, 13 years ago, I was at Grace Family Church as the, and I thought I was a really good pastor, by the way, but I was a pastor here at this church. So it's not like I'm off away from God. I'm rebelling or sinning. I'm doing my best to help Grace Family Church reach Tampa for Christ. And he goes, you're insecure, you're full of fear, and you're a people pleaser. That's not how I created you. I created you to be confident. I created you to not be fearful, but to be bold in what you're doing. I didn't create you to be a people pleaser. I created you to please me. And so what I did is I took that book and I went out to our fire pit and I said, God, let's talk. And we did for four hours. I took every situation I had written down and I said, God, please forgive me of this. I forgive that person. I invite your Holy Spirit to minister to them. And I ask that you help me not to do that again. And I pray that I don't allow that to dictate my life. Four hours of praying through every one of the situations. When I was done, I took that book and I threw it in the fire and I said, God, today I choose to walk in freedom. So therefore I will not walk in insecurity anymore. I will not walk in people pleasing and I will not walk in fear because that's not how you created me to be. And instead of believing that lie, I'm gonna believe what your word says about me. And guys, I have been, I can tell you 13 years, I've not gone back. And every day the enemy knocks on that door and says, oh, don't you want it? And I'm like, no, I don't. But that's because I know the truth. And the enemy is gonna lie to you and he's gonna take the truth and he's gonna change it. So here's the key question you can ask yourself. What am I trying to protect and what am I unwilling to surrender? The fourth play that the enemy does is the devil will accuse you. It says in Revelations 12, 10, the devil is the accuser. He accuses um, the believers before God day and night. Now, let me give you a picture of that. So you have God sitting on his throne and the enemy comes in and he goes, okay, God, here I am. Hey, listen, Susie, listen, let me tell you what Susie did today. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she did that. And then there's Bob. Boy, boy Bob's really kind of struggling. You know, he did this, he did this, he did this. You know, he said he's one of your Christians, but guess what? He did this and this. And then he goes, and then there's Pastor Chris. I am gonna be here day and night. There's a lot of things this guy's working on. The devil is accusing you all the time. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Guess where Jesus sits? At the right hand of the Father. So let me tell you what happens. The devil comes in and goes, let me tell you about Pastor Chris. And, the and Jesus leans over to God and goes, I know this one. Yeah, he made some mistakes, but he asked me to forgive him. So guess what? He's covered. And he's doing that for you too. When you go back to him and say, God, I blew it. But the enemy does this. So let's be clear. It's settled in heaven. In heaven, God forgives it. Wipe clean. You know what happens here on earth? The blooper reel gets going. And the enemy says, oh, how can you say you're a Christian? Look at all the bad things you're doing. You did that and that. You said God forgave you. Oh, but you know what? You are so wrong. And he just accuses and accuses. And that voice in your head says, I can't tell anybody what I've done. Because if they do, they'll know I'm not as good as they think I am. 
They'll know that I, I struggle and I make mistakes. They'll know that God loves me, but man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not doing well. And so we begin to isolate ourselves. We begin to pull back away from people. And you know, we talk about groups here all the time. And I wanna tell you, I, I, this is not the reason for you, us to have groups. It's not so you can come in on day one and go, hello, my name's Chris. Let me tell you all the problems I have in my life. This is the top 10 sins of my world. This is what I've done. This is my past. These are all the things I've done wrong. You know, ask Kristen, she'll verify I did all those things. If you walk into your group and do that on the first day, stop it. Because that's not why we have groups. You know why we do have groups? So you can walk and go, hey everybody, I'm Chris. I continue to grow every day. Let's do life together. Let's get into the Bible together. Let's go ride bikes together, whatever your group is about. And let's spend some time building a relationship. And what happens is over time, you continue to build this relationship. You continue to build this relationship. And then guess what happens? One day you look over at the guy a few chairs over and you go, man, there's something about that guy I just really connect with. Can we go get some coffee? And we go get coffee. And I was like, well, how are you doing in your life? Let me tell you what I'm kind of working through. And next thing you know, you're going layer and layer down because that's where God brings those relationships is when we spend time in community. So my encouragement to you is to recognize two things. It's settled in heaven, but you got to walk it out on here on earth. Nowhere does God say you should do it alone. So maybe here's the question you need to ask yourself. What am I afraid of other people knowing? And spend some time recognizing it's the enemy's playbook. The last play he does is the devil wants to separate you from God. Can I just be honest with you? That's the main, that's what spiritual warfare is. It's not, you know, all the stuff you see on Hollywood. What spiritual warfare is this. If the enemy can get you to take a step away from God, then that is exactly what he's trying to do every day. If every day you take another step away from God, because you know what happens is when we have distance from God, we begin to wonder, where is he? When we have distance from God, we have a tendency to just say, God, I can do it myself. And he's going, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right here. But the enemy does these plays where he tempts us and he goes, oh, you took another step away from God today. And he goes, you're trying to prove that God's God. You're testing him, aren't you? You're gonna take another step away from God. Oh, wow, man, you, you believe that lie. What a whopper. Shoop. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to take a step so far away from God that when we do finally say, God, where are you? And we look and we go, God, where, where are you? I thought you were here. And God's going, I didn't move. You see, the devil knows this principle in spiritual warfare. You are dangerous to him. C.S. Lewis wrote an amazing book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's about two demons talking. So it's demons talking, not, not angels. And this is what the chief demon was teaching the junior demon. He said, our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desires but still intending to do God's will, looks around the universe from which every trace of him has vanished and asks, why has he been forsaken and yet still obeys God? I want you to hear that principle and in my words. 
You are more dangerous to the devil right now when you say, you know what, God? I don't know where you're at in this. I've struggled. I'm trying to figure it out, but I choose you. Now, let me tell you the example we have in that, and that's Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus is, Jesus came so that we could have you know, our sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God. So Jesus being born, Jesus going through childhood, Jesus starting his ministry at the age of 30, all of it, it revolves around the fact that he is gonna pay the price for our sins. And he is going through this. He's, they're seeing miracles, they're seeing things happen, and he gets to the cross. And for the first time, Jesus experiences what you and I experience today. He's gone through the trial, he's gone through the whippings, he's gone through the nails in his hands, and he's on the cross, and this is what he says. He says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in his life, for the first time in 33 years, Jesus feels what you and I feel when we say, Father, where are you? And Jesus is on the cross doing God's will. And he says this, it is finished. He took a step toward God. And then he went into the grave. You see, I told you the devil's five plays. I wanna tell you God's one play. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ, shed his blood so you could have a relationship with God. He doesn't need any other place. The blood of Jesus, when Jesus was crucified and then was kill and killed and three days later was resurrected, it says this in Colossians 2, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, the ones that are coming against you, the things that God, this devil is doing to defeat you, the things the devil's doing to make you feel small, the things that he's going, how can you trust God? How can you believe God? He's coming at you every day, accusing you and lying to you, tempting you, telling you, prove God who he is. And let me tell you what, Jesus said, I got you covered. I went to the cross so that every play the enemy is gonna throw at you, it's already been won because it was won on the cross. Now here's the challenge for us today. It's settled in heaven, but we have to do the warfare. We win, we, we fight from a place of victory, but we've gotta do that every day when we get up. We gotta recognize the enemy is gonna come against you and he's gonna fight against you. And he's gonna do all those things I talked about. But the war has already been won. But today we need to win the battle. You were given a post-it note on the way in. We're gonna do something different. We have created space for this. We are well before the end of the service. When I wrote that stuff in that notebook, it solidified me that it was, this is what I wanted God to get. This is what I wanted God to set me free from. I was in a meeting this week with Pastor Ralph and he said something really, really strong. He said, freedom is the result of risk and responsibility. Some of us need to take a risk tonight. 
Some of you need to grab a pen. In fact, I'm gonna encourage everybody to take a pen, take your post-it note out and write down the thing that as I was speaking, just resonates with you. Maybe it's something you're tempted with right now. And you need to write that down and say, I'm gonna take that and put that on the cross in just a moment. Maybe there's an area of your life like I did with Casey that you're going, God, I need you to prove who you are. You need to write that down on your post-it note. Maybe you believed a lie. Maybe you believed an accusation and maybe you're going, God, where are you? I don't feel dangerous. I feel vulnerable. I don't know where you are. I feel separation from God because this happened or I did this or this situation occurred. Can you write it down? And if you're watching online, if you text the word prayer or if you wanna write it on the website or right there in the chat room, write it down. Because in a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to take a step. It's gonna be a step that you're gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna take it to the cross. Or maybe I need to do communion and I just need to spend some time just with the, the, the juice and the wafer to remember how much God paid a price for me. Maybe it's coming up and praying with somebody and just saying, you know what, I've done it all by myself and I can't do it anymore. I need you to agree with me. But everyone take your post-it note out and we're gonna give you a chance to reflect and respond. They're gonna just sing the chorus for just a few moments. And I want you to take some time to write that down. And then on our campuses, the campus pastors will come up and give us our next step. But let me pray with you. Father, in Jesus' name, the starting place is you, God. The only way we can win is that when we recognize that we need a savior. And there might be someone hearing my voice right now that says, you know what? I can't even take the first step because I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and savior. And so God, I just pray wherever they are hearing these words, that they would just pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you forgive me. Cleanse me of my sins, wash me clean. And today I choose to make you Lord of my life, that I would walk with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Write on your post-it note, 